All right, welcome to the Deer Vane Podcast, everybody. Today I got with me Alex Comstock, and if you don't know that name, you probably know Whitetail DNA. It's a great Instagram account, great YouTube account. You should check it out. But uh, Alex is the owner of Comstock Creative, which is his kind of media company. He's an author, a writer, a vlogger, creates a lot of content, shoots big deer. And uh, today we're talking about shed hunting. So that's very relevant for everybody. Everybody's kind of waiting for that snow to melt and get out there and put some miles on. But then also we wanted to go over a few things uh, or a few deer that Alex had shot over the last couple of years and kind of dive into that a little bit, what tactics he used and how he was able to be successful. And uh, in 2018, he shot a really nice one in early October. And then in 2019, uh, he had to wait all the way till December. So two completely different tactics being used there. And uh, that's what we got going on. So, Alex, I covered everything. Was there anything else you wanted me to talk, tell about you? No, I think you covered it. I appreciate <laughs> you having me on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, so, I guess, would you tell people, like, how did you get started, like, doing all, doing all the content creation and stuff? Yeah, so I was in college. I think it was, like, my junior, senior year. And I just knew I wanted to do something in like the hunting world. I wanted, uh, I didn't know what it was, but I knew when I grew up, I guess I didn't want to have just like a normal job. And, uh, so I got into this, started writing, um, I created whitetaildna.com and I just wrote, I mean, I wrote blog posts almost every day, just trying to make content. And, uh, after that, I kind of turned into, I started writing for some magazines. I've written a lot for like North American whitetail. Uh, Bowhunter magazine, uh, QDMA's magazine, Quality Whitetails. And then that kind of evolved into me wanting to do more. And then that's when I kind of discovered, like, I could start filming my hunts. And I picked up a camera. And that led into me starting a YouTube channel and just trying to, like, make cool videos. And then that led into shooting photos for, you know, thumbnails. And I started shooting photos just for blog posts, like header images. And that turned into trying to, like, get into photography right and then over the last few years that evolved into um you know turning the camera stuff i got a lot better at that and learned a lot over the course of a few years and then this last year i started my own media company like you said comstock creative and uh was able to turn just general photography and videography into my my full-time income so that's kind of the the elevator pitch on where everything's gone since i started uh (laughs) whitetail dna i guess nice no no that's that's good uh and it seems like you know as more people get into the outdoors and more like you know every every kid between like the ages of like 14 and 18 to 20 wants to like oh i just want to hunt for a living like that's all i want to do right right? and uh and a lot of it comes down to like nobody just wants to pay somebody to hunt like that's just not what it is and you need to I think like as, as I dive into it more and more and more, it becomes like, you kind of got to be a jack of all trades like you do in order to like get started. And then eventually you'll specialize because, you know, you do videography, you do photography, you write, uh, you work for other people like freelance and things like that to make money. And so you're kind of like a jack of all trades, but then at some point you'll probably narrow down to being, you know, 70, 80% of my incomes comes from this. And right. Right. Yeah. It's probably going to yeah. narrow down at some point where you're going to be exactly. at. But yeah. That's just, that's just kind of what I've been noticing. And cause a lot of people like, yeah. they just want to make, you know, I guess like 
the hunting public, they're kind of a rarity, but they built up yeah. all their skills at Midwest Whitetail. And then all they do is videos, right? I mean, they right. do podcasts, but then Instagram, they yeah. do other content, but you know, they're almost exclusively known for their YouTube videos. Right. Uh, so here's a question for you. When you started out, this is a question I get a lot, and I'm sure you get a lot too. It's like, do I buy a video camera or a DSLR? So I started out getting a video camera first and I knew I wanted to start filming my hunts. And then I almost in tandem, I think I got my DSLR. I mean, within a month or two of my getting a um, video camera, but the okay. way I did it, you know, I was in college, so I couldn't really afford much. So I got both of them off eBay trying to find okay. the best deal I could, you yeah. know, and got uh, started out with my, first camera i got was a canon g30 and on ebay i think i got it for like 700 bucks maybe and so it did the trick and i actually still have it and then the i got an, <laughs> use a nikon much? uh not anymore i'm gonna no. be, actually it's gonna be uh, uh i'm gonna be selling it soon so oh if anyone needs a canon g30 head over to my instagram account in the next month or two when i decide <laughs> to sell it <laughs> but uh <laughs> nice good deals right Six hundred fifty yeah, exactly. bucks. <laughs> yep, <laughs> holds its value. <laughs> no, but and then, uh, but I would recommend going with a DSLR first because okay. if you if unless you just want to film your hunts, but just being able to, the ability to film and take photos, it's a little harder to film, but you kind of got to figure. I guess it, it it all depends on what you want to do. You know, but if, if you don't care about photography, then obviously you want to get a video camera first. But I feel like the second you start videotaping your hunts, you're going to want to learn photography. And then you're going to be like, crap, I just spent all this money that I'm here. Yeah. What I, I so I personally, I reached out to a few different like, you know, Instagram and Facebook is giving you such a, a, a neat capability to reach out to people who do this for a living all the time yeah. and talk to them. So how yep. I got started actually was I reached out to Heartland Bowhunter, which was like, and still is m probably my favorite show. I just, I just yeah. really enjoy those guys. And I reached out to them and said, what should I get? And they actually said, you know, sales pitch. They were like, well, you should probably get a DSLR and we have one for sale, yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, we'll give you, you know, I'll sell you this, uh, this, this camera arm and uh in this camera and you know it'll be a great little starter set for you and get you going and we'll sell it to you for 600 bucks you know so yeah. i was like all right i'll take it you know as a canon uh 60d 60d it was like it's i don't think they even make it anymore but uh yeah that's that's what i kind of started with and i ran with that for many years until i decided yeah. to, to bump and now i run the, the old sony's do you run is that what yeah. you run yeah Yep. Yeah, the A7. Yeah, I got yeah, A7 is what I got. And so mm -hmm. I'll be looking to get a second one here soon. No, nah, nice. You, yeah. you could buy Dylan's. I think Dylan's trying to sell his. I, just, I don't, I just, I don't know yet. I mean, <laughs> I think he's waiting for the new one to drop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard they might be coming out with one pretty soon here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then, well, then the price of all the older ones dropped significantly too. Like if you want right. to get the R, like the R3 or something like that. But uh, yeah, exactly. All right. Enough of that. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about shed hunting. All right. I'm terrible at shed hunting. I've found one shed in my entire life and it was when I was turkey hunting. Actually, nice. that's not true. I found two. 
I was elk hunting this year and found this one when I was oh. literally running after a bull trying to run it <laughs> down. Like I was trying to cut it off. I wasn't, there's obviously no way I'm going to catch an elk. I was trying to cut it off and I just like got winded, stopped, bent over, heaved a few times out of gasping breath and looked down and there's just, yeah, this big old three point elk shed. <laughs> laying, laying nice. right there. Yeah. But, uh, but shed hunting. So I'm not very good at it. I can see I'm not going to, the videos, we're not posting the video, but uh, Alex and I are on Skype right now and I can see all of his sheds behind him. So obviously he's a lot better than I am. So what is like, let's dive, let's dive into, and what is what is your strategy for shed hunting? What do you do? I mean, the biggest thing I think with shed hunting, just like on big picture, is I think a lot of people just kind of look where they hunt, and you know they might go in areas they've seen a lot of deer in the fall or whatever. But you know, deer in most places are shifting where they where they're spending their time from September, October to you know January, February, March. You know, because some deer hold until. March, even April. I mean, but you know, essentially you want to be where they're spending their time in the winter, you know? And I think that can be the biggest hurdle for some people is they either a don't know, or don't have access to areas that deer are spending their time in the winter because, you know, in a lot of those places in the Midwest, right. It's like mm-hmm. people have standing corn or standing beans and they get all the deer for miles around. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I try to just key on, you know, I do a lot of scouting you know, postseason, trying to figure out where deer are spending their time right now, run a lot of trail cameras. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest step, and then we can go into more stuff from there. But okay, um, def- I think definitely being the in the winter areas is is definitely key. Yeah. So if you're seeing deer, <laughs> like you know, in in early season or over the summer, and then you're seeing them through the fall, and then during the rut, you're seeing all these deer in a certain area. And you go out there looking for sheds. A lot of times they're not in that area because a food source is two miles away, like, and it's right. standing beans and, you know, around you, you got nothing. So they're just all gone. Right. right. It's pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So it's really like kind of a, a hit or miss. So you really need to figure out where, where the deer are and then just yep. get there. I, yeah. And there's certain people, like I have friends who they find sheds you know 10 15 20 of them every year and they're like i don't know i just go walk my property and then after i like really started like after i failed a lot at shed hunting i went and like walked with them and like the rule they have is if if you find it on their property it stays on their property which is yeah which is fine um but uh you start walking and yeah they leave they leave beans up and like yeah they, they like they just they push their corn over with a four wheeler they don't even pick it so they just push it all over so it's all just there and yeah i mean like everywhere else could have a foot of snow in this area because so many deer have been in it is just you know down to dirt (laughs) right and And that's right right exactly i mean that's places i try to look for now like where i'm at you know up in northern minnesota there are no crop fields or anything like that so a lot of places i'm a lot of places i'm looking is in it's like in city limits is where i do most of my hunting and shed hunting up here and, you know, a lot of places I'm looking are in cedar swamps where there's really good thermal bedding. There's up here, there's um, it's mountain ash and buckthorn. Both those are two big time winter browse food sources. 
And then there's a lot of people that just like to feed deer in their backyards. And that creates areas where there's a higher amount of deer concentration. You work back from there. Um, you know, bird feeders, things like that. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's finding any little advantage you can, you know, in, a, in the no, right that way. Makes sense. And that, that leads perfectly into one of my next questions was kind of like, how would you prioritize or where do you think you find the most amount of sheds being like on a food source, like actually in the field or in the travel routes to and from or in bedding areas? Or is a is it a wide combination of all of them or where would you, where would you really like key in on yeah for me i'm trying to go you know i'm trying to figure out where they're feeding where they're bedding and in between it's almost like you know late season hunting or early yeah. season hunting way i mean and so i try to find you know obviously if you can find a food source that's great and then if you can work back from that you know if you live somewhere where there's snow obviously you can just work the trails back to where they're you know you're finding beds a lot of times at least where i'm at deer bedding on you know, southern facing slopes where there's a little more sunshine during the day um you know on those those nice little hills or on ridges yeah. you know no i um, think that's a that's a very overlooked point because there's a, a friend i mean i have so my family bought land this year and we have a north facing and a south facing slope and then we also like property i used to hunt was a north facing and south facing slope as well and in late season, you'd always like you got to walk through the valley and you'd be looking at that south facing slope and you could yep. just see deer up on that hillside because the sun's on them the longest and that's where they like to be. So they stay warmer. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Okay. And you did, you did, I, I sorry, I interrupted you, but yeah, you were saying the south facing slopes kind of where they bed and then following those travel routes. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, if you, you want to break it down they're going to either be shedding yeah i'd say 25 percent food source 25 percent or maybe i don't know if i want to go straight percentages or go a majority <laughs> between food source and bedding some in between and then there's going to be some random antlers that fall wherever deer's meandering but you know majority is going to be between bedding the food source and the trails in between so okay. i try once i can locate the food and the bedding then i'm just gridding in between everything you know and and walking a lot. I think people sometimes might go out, walk for a couple hours, not find anything, get discouraged and be done. I mean, there are days where I'll walk sun up to sundown um, when I'm really hitting it hard. And you might yeah. find one or two, but you do it again the next, you know what I mean? Like you got to put on a lot of miles in most places, right? Unless you're shed hunting some primo farm in Iowa or something. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I, I know people that find hundreds of sheds a year, It's which is crazy, even out in like North Dakota oh, and stuff. Shit. Yeah. But uh, I think you just got to you got to be willing to walk a lot and not get down when you're not finding sheds. And that's one thing like I noticed with me is if I'm walking, maybe I put on three, four or five miles and I haven't found one. It's easy to become disengaged. Now you're not paying attention as much. And now you're looking for rubs or something to get you excited, but you're not looking yeah. for sheds. And now you're not going to find any because you're not really engaged. You got to really just stay engaged the whole time if you're really just trying to find antlers okay how uh no that makes a lot of sense and that happens to me all the time that's probably why i don't find anything because i'm like oh a scrape Ooh, a nice rub oh there's a trail this tree looks really good let me just mark this quick and oh that point looks good let me go check over there (laughs) uh and that's and that's what i try to tell people a lot is like if you're serious about wanting to shed hunt and actually find antlers like for me i've got to set i'm either going out to the woods to scout or i'm going out to shed hunt 
You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. hard to truly do both. Like, yeah, you can it, pick yeah. up on some things while you're shed hunting, but to legitimately scout and shed hunt at the same time, it's almost impossible for someone like me. No, I yeah, I would agree. I would probably agree with that because, I mean, it's just like like squirrel. Oh, bright! You know, this tree looks great. I got to set up in this thing. Where would shooting lanes be? You know, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and then following trails, and then all of a sudden you're just like, you're stuck on trying to kill something in an area that you just found. <laughs> Right. Um, how often would you, so say like a lot of people have, you know, a hunting property where they go to, right? Right. Like they only know a specific piece. Um, and maybe they have two pieces or three pieces that they like to go to and say they go walk them all on a weekend and they don't find anything. Would you go right back there? Like how long do you wait before you go back to an area? If you think it's good, if you think it's gonna, you know, you find tracks, you find everything. Yeah, I mean, if you can, obviously, if you have trail cameras, that makes things a million times easier because you can know, you know, are there bucks on your property? Because if you're not, if you're shed hunting where there aren't any bucks, you're not going to find any antlers, right? Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, no, same thing. If you, I mean, so I like, that's why I love running cameras this time of year. So if you only have a property too, if you're running cameras, you know, so let's just say, you know, you got bucks on camera then all of a sudden, you know, bucks are showing up half racked or they're dropped. So, you know, they've shed somewhere and you go walk your property and if there's some really good sign, you know, and you don't find anything. I would definitely, if the, if you know the shed, I just go back. I mean, I go, there's spots that I've already walked this year three, four times. And okay. I'm just trying to, I mean, if no, where you can get, you know, where you can hurt yourself if you're walking too early bucks are still holding you go back a couple times and all of a sudden you're bumping them off your property then yeah. you're just kind of screwing yourself over uh-huh. so it can be more t- difficult if you uh aren't running cameras you know if you can't get anywhere where you can scout from a distance it kind of makes things tough then yeah because you don't know if there's unless you just wait if you know nobody's going to shed on your property then you can just wait till you know legit spring yeah but other, i mean that's one of the other pieces is like, I will, uh, I'll, I'll shed hunt. So outside of my house within 10 minutes of my house, 10 to 20 minutes, depending on what parking lot I want to go to is 6,000 public acres. Right. And I've kind of narrowed that down for shed hunting to a few small parcels that still hold deer, you know, but then I'll go in there. And the thing that will really discourage me is if I see other footprints in there, I'm like, crap. Someone's already been in there. Someone's already looking, but I guess it doesn't necessarily mean that they found anything because the deer yeah. might shed the day after that they were in there. But well, I, that's, that's what I attribute my failure to is other people. It's that's my, that's my only excuse. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of my buddies sent me a picture of a shed he found yesterday that was in someone else's boot print. Oh, no like, way. Really? So the guy probably walked the next day of buck sheds and there you go. Oh shit. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. I had, so I did, I shed hunt when I was probably, I was 14 or 15 years old. I shed hunted a piece that I had permission to, to hunt. I didn't find anything. And that was on Wednesday and we went and my buddies came over and we're like, oh, let's go for a walk, you know, and we can shed hunt whatever on Saturday. And I didn't come up with any rules or anything. It wasn't my property. And the set I th- was just over 180 inches, and one found one an- one found one antler, and the other found the other. 
Jeez. And they were they both wanted to keep it. And I was like, ah, so I just got a picture of it and that was it. But yeah, yeah. 180. I was just over 180. I was like, oh my God. And then the That's landowner crazy. was like, I want those. And I was like, I don't know. Like, you'll have to talk to these guys. They're not mine. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, that was that was a very interesting situation for being 15 years old. <laughs> Yeah, I no realized the value of those. It's a big set of antlers. Yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, just starting to hunt. But, uh, but yeah, so then, uh, so on my property that I'm hunting <clears throat> right now, I just pulled, I pulled all my cameras. <clears throat> excuse me. I pulled all my cameras just to kind of pull. I like to pull them all at one point which the end of season and then I redistribute them all over the winter because they're kind of yeah. in, you know, set areas for, for hunting purposes. Like I want to understand these travel routes and things like that, but right. then I feel I got to reposition them all and I'm going to go back out in a week or two and drop them all again. But one camera, uh, caught the, f I, I had seven cameras out and one camera caught every buck from all the other cameras in one spot. And they're all coming up or down this little ridge. And uh, so my kind of plan, my thought is to just like, and they're probably, this, this camera's like 30 yards from a field. So my thought is they're going up through there and they're going through like a prickly ash, uh, like couple acres, which sucks. Like I hate that stuff because it just tears your clothing yeah. up real bad. Uh, and it just, you know, scratches you up and stuff. But they're going through, which, but it also should like hopefully be knocking off antlers because it's all real tight real yeah. thick stem count uh and then getting there and then just kind of working that from there out of because then once they go through this kind of little funnel they go into the field but if you work it backwards it's kind of like uh if if a river opened up into a lake and then they can just go anywhere so then it yeah. becomes hard because they all kind of come in from different areas um, right I don't, yeah i don't know i don't know exactly where they're going or what they're doing but, uh, but yeah, is that what you would do is kind of just start at that funnel and then just walk yeah. every trail out of there? Right. Yeah. Because the, you know, and you'd hope that you've got a better chance of finding something there. You've got a plethora of bucks coming in there. They might not all be shedding between that camera and the field, but your chances are finding something there probably higher. And then I just start working trails back towards the bedding, everyone that you could find, you know, yeah. and obviously the more what what helps me up here you know i'm pretty far north and we get a lot of snow is these trails become so packed down no matter be, the deer just use the same ones which makes it easy even if there's a lot of them which make it easier for me because you take one step off the trail you're waist deep in snow so sure. the deer don't want to deal with that crap you know they yeah. just stay on the trails so it's easier when you got actually a lot of snow it makes it more difficult when you have less snow because then they can just go wherever Mm -hmm. no that makes sense it's kind of like funneling them just the weather the conditions funnel them into specific trails yeah, yeah. do you wait until the snow melts or is that do you not wait because or what do you do there because i mean i feel like you might miss them if, if they're buried but yeah no i i start and i've already been out and started um you know and it's all situational in a perfect world everywhere i shed hunt if i knew nobody else shed hunted i'd wait they're just you know what i mean yeah but yeah. there's a lot of shed hunting pressure a lot of people that are out walking you know everywhere i'm going there's boot prints so you kind of gotta 
almost find them as they fall. Yeah, you gotta hope. You gotta hope you find them as they fall. <laughs> right. It's it's not easy for that's for sure. I mean, so that's why I like to run a lot of cameras, and a lot of my bucks are still holding most of them actually, which is, I, which is kind of interesting, because they yeah. bucks started shedding here early in December this year. But now the ones that didn't evolve, they're still pretty much all holding. So, hmm. so you okay? So you said that you're running cameras, but there's also a lot of pressure. Are you do you, are you like on public, or is it pro, like are you worried about your cameras getting stolen, or how do you deal um, with that? I've been lucky. I mean, I've gotten a lot of people on. Cam- I get more people on camera during sheds, like in the winter this time of year, than I do during the fall. Really? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of people that I know even around here that shed hunt, but they don't really hunt that much. So huh. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's but just no, like getting I, away from the wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I hang a lot of my cameras up high and down, okay. pointing down and got a cell cam that if someone tries to steal, that picture of them beforehand. So right. I've, I've been, I've been really lucky. I've, I haven't had to deal with, cameras being stolen so yeah one of the so i was out kind of doing a little scouting uh earlier this week and i found a spot where all these deer kind of generally there's two trails and they'll cross a river and i'm gonna it's public and it's pretty close to a parking lot like they kind of skirt the parking lot and you just it's evident in the snow and uh in the parking lots used a lot but it's mainly used by trappers because there's flags all up and down uh the river so i'm thinking i'm gonna put one of those a lift two on one of those trees angle it down and try to catch deer coming out of the river on video i feel like that'd be a pretty sweet like that's something i just want to do for fun just to see if i can get that it'd be pretty cool cool. yeah getting them come out shake off and whatever and keep going but uh but yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense using the cameras to see when they're holding, when they're falling, and uh, and yeah, I, like I said, I pulled all mine, so it's tough for that. But I'll put them back out and, and see where they go. Yeah. Uh so that's kind of. I mean, do you have anything else to add for for shed hunting? I mean, just putting on a lot of miles, covering a lot of ground, recover ground. Yep. I mean, yeah being in the right spots i mean which is right Right. i mean i mean and uh yeah just really and one thing too i like to cover is just like training your eyes almost yeah because a lot of a lot of people are looking for a full antler right just thinking there's gonna be a a big five point side lane tines up you know that's not how it happens no i mean (laughs) once in a while not a few like that and when you do you're like oh sweet if you if you look on instagram that's how it always happens right exactly <laughs> no but if you have any you know one thing i've done a lot is if i get if i start getting discouraged or haven't found any for a while i'll bring a shed with me and just throw it behind me you got to be careful here because i've actually know people that have lost antlers doing this somehow but <laughs> it's just take an antler kind of toss it over your shoulder wait a second turn around and just see how fast you can find it you know and just to kind of train your eye to look for that curvature of a main beam, to sure. look for a piece of a tine, um, just for that color that's where it stands out a little more. I mean, because yeah. the I can definitely I definitely know like that I've gotten better just at spotting antlers over the course of the last three four years. And as you find more, 
it's almost like a snowball effect. You just start finding more and more because you know what you're looking for in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So, how many uh how many antler like sticks do you find? A ton. Way more than actual <laughs> antlers. <laughs> there are times where I've been with the buddy, be like, oh I uh, never mind. Never mind. Stick. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, that I've done that all I do that every year. Mu- so much. Yeah, it's like, oh there it is. Damn. It's just some yep. white, dirty ass old stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh um, I think that also plays a role into it a lot too, is, is like the color of the color of the antler. Cause some of them yeah. are like dark, you know, some yep. of those antlers are dark and then they'll probably be easier to see in snow versus just your flat white antlers. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Sure. I, I feel like that would do a thing too. Um, okay. Well, yeah, no, that's all I got for that's, that's all the questions I have on shed hunting. I feel like that covered a lot of it Yeah. Um, for anybody getting out and getting after it. Uh, so as far as for like, I'm just trying to think here. If if anybody were to say to you like, I just want to start shed hunting, it's like, in your hunt, you're on public or something like that. Like it's find where the deer are, go out and scout and find where the tracks are. Right. Yep. Exactly. I mean, because you don't want to be shed hunting in a ghost town because you're not right. going to find. Yeah, that's probably like that's probably a real good reason to not wait for the snow to melt. Yeah. Is to get if out. They, and live, yeah. Yeah. If you live in areas where there's snow get out there and because it's just when there's snow it's so easy to see exactly how the deer are moving what they're doing where they're bedding you know where they're meandering spending a lot of time so if you got snow use that to your advantage and get out and see what they're doing because you need to be looking where they're at while they are going to shed their antlers obviously so right no that makes that makes sense so um yeah you'd go out you'd find a piece what about uh what about like antler traps? Do you ever like hang hang like thick string or anything up to do that? No, I've been mulling that one over. I think that's just I don't really eh, that's how I kind of feel about it. Like no. the antler is gonna come off when it's supposed to come off. I don't want to put any added stress on the deer. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose that's that's the way to think about it. I was because this that funnel that I told you about earlier where all these bucks come through they're going uphill and they got to hop over a pretty good sized rock. So they all jump up right there and it's like a two foot jump. And so if I were to put some, some rope right across there at about like, you know, five feet, (laughs) I was thinking about that, but, uh, but no, yeah, I mean, I have friends who've tried antler traps, you know, but it doesn't, it seems to not, not work anyway. Right. I mean, the best antler trap I've heard of was a huge pile of corn and, on your property if you can do it <laughs> right yeah because they all come there and then they'll just fall off anyway right <laughs> no that makes sense um all right well that's kind of it for shed honey if, if you guys have any more questions again just hit up hit up alex at whitetail dna or you can hit me up um but i'm not i'm not as good so mm-hmm. talk to alex on that stuff the the other thing, so then I also want to talk about your your deer. So tell me the tell me the story of your big nine this year. Yeah, big nine this year is kind of an interesting story because I knew of him all since the summer um, when I threw up cameras. The summer he was the first buck I got pictures of. Um, actually, my buddy that used to hunt the area that I'm hunting now hit him last well in 2018. Um, so his one side was kind of different than, you know, that's why he was a kind of an odd nine. Um, okay. So new of them all year, but I've been targeting a, a different buck most of the year. 
this other book on a little tiny piece of private I have for the last couple of years. Um, he's a nine-year-old, just absolute giant. And he huh. dis- disappeared on me in October. So I kind of started hunting more of my public stuff where this nine pointer was. And there was a nine pointer. Uh, There's four bucks in my public area that I would have shot the nine pointer, the one okay. I got, and then three others. Um, and me and my one buddy who I hunt with a ton, he killed our biggest buck that we were after in November. And then I spent most of the rut out in North Dakota. And so by the time I got serious about targeting this deer, it was about the end of November. And uh, I was checking cameras and had a bunch of pictures of them all in daylight going by a lot of stands while I was out in North Dakota, of course. And uh, yeah, it got to be all of a sudden it kind of got to be December. And I wanted to target that deer, essentially that deer and the other one. Um, and I kind of figured out where one night after hunting, I did a little drive-by in this neighborhood pretty close to the, the woods behind all these houses where I can hunt. And two nice bucks came out of this piece across the road. One was him. So I knew where he was. I figured I knew where he was feeding because he was coming out kind of right after dark. And he had to be back where there's a ton of buckthorn and stuff like that. Okay. So the next the next day, it was December. It would have been the 9th or 10th or something like that. I went in and did a hanging hunt. Um in the chunk of woods I saw him come out of. Yeah. And it, and it was brutal. Our early December was brutal. I mean, it was like negative 25, negative 30 with the wind chill. Did a hanging oh, hunt. Man. I saw a pile of deer and had the nine pointer gone by at 60 yards. And so I was debating moving, yeah. but I figured I'd give the stand one more, one more try. So I went in the next night, sat it again and he came by 30 yards. Perfect. And I was able to put just an absolute horrible shot on him. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, it was actually the first time I'd drawn my buck, my bow on a buck all season. Um, yeah. And you know, oh, I, man. I, I pulled it, was... it back. It was a terrible gut shot. But what helped me out was the cold. We had gotten some really brutal snowstorms early in the in December, too. So we had just had a two-foot snowstorm the week before. And it was negative 20. So yeah. I hit the deer in the guts and he ran. He only went 40 yards and I watched him bed down and he was still alive and everything. And I uh, kept my eyes on him till dark and got down, was able to sneak out without, without busting him. Um, as he had went the opposite way of the way I was getting out, which was good. Yeah. And I was going to just give them till the morning, right? But then all of a sudden, it was we were supposed to get five, six inches of snow that night, of course. So I didn't want to lose the blood trail or have the snow be a reason that I didn't find them. Yeah. And so I decided to kind of risk it. And I went in about midnight that night. That night. So I gave him about eight hours. And uh, he was laying in his bed, dead. Right, so I got, yeah, so oh, I, got real luck. I got real lucky. I mean, I put a gut. I got shot a deer and he only went 40 yards. Yeah, no yeah. shit. You didn't bump him or anything. Yeah. Oh. So well, at least, I was, yeah, I mean, God, isn't that the worst feeling ever? Like, oh, I was just, you know, I hate it because obviously with filming my hunts too, and, you know, you shoot something, and you know, I got to flip the camera, and, you know, I want to be able to be 
jittery, excited, you know, flipping Happy. that camera and like, yeah. like losing it. And I was like almost pissed, you know, and I was yeah. like just sick to my stomach about it. And then mm-hmm. even when I came home that night, you know, I, I live with my girlfriend and was telling her I'd shot this buck. And she was like, wait, it was a, so it was a big one, right? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, why aren't you excited? And I was like trying to explain to her that, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. I'm, Nah, it's still alive. I don't know if it's I'm, dead. Right? Yeah, I might have just hurt him like real yeah. bad, and he's probably he's gonna die. But I don't know if I'm gonna find him or if coyotes are gonna run him down or, you know yeah. what? Ah. Uh, so, but at least you got. I mean, at least I was he very died fortunate. right there. Yeah, yeah. He didn't go anywhere. Was he? Was he like solid when you got to him? Was he dead yeah. for a long time? I think he yeah. probably died within a couple hours. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever, was, did you open them up and like investigate? Cause maybe you might've got some sort of artery or something in there, but. No, I just clipped. I, I barely even clipped liver. I mean, I got liver and guts. Okay. Out of it. Huh? Yeah. Dang. Well, it was, I mean, very interesting. the tactics that you used at least like the tactic is very legit. So yeah. you're driving by, you're seeing where they are. And especially in December, they're pretty much off, off any sort of rut pattern and onto like a, yep. a food to bed pattern, you know, unless right. it's kind of like every now and then you get a little like second rut activity where some other does come into asterisk, but generally they're going to be in a very similar pattern. You saw them at yep. night, you went in there the next day, you saw them, but not close enough. And instead of, instead of moving your stand closer to that spot, you just stuck it out again in that same tree, right? Yep. Yeah, so why didn't why wouldn't you have moved it closer? Just because I knew he was there and the trail he came in on wasn't one that I thought I I was like kind of taken aback like hmm, I don't feel like I just didn't feel like that was a main his main trail that he was taking and okay. where he was coming from didn't make sense for betting. So I don't know if he was bumped that day from something else. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I was like I'm going to give it one more sit. And if he would have done the same thing, then I would have moved or if he would have been, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the next city came right where I was hoping him to. So I had yeah. to set that stand kind of figuring where he would come from, at least, you know, hypothesizing where he was coming from a bedding area right. and uh, ended up being, being right. So I got, got lucky. Oh, yeah. And you, did you have like the same weather conditions both days, like yeah, a specific type of wind and stuff like that? Like that really helps as well. Right. Same wind and just, stupid cold and so i figured yeah. you know i shot him two hours before sunset so okay oh okay so he was up early yeah he and he was already here he wasn't with other deer but you know i shot him at what three o'clock three thirty, and he was already the 15th or 20th deer something like that i'd seen i mean oh shit so the deer were up and moving you know they were moving then way better than at the end of December, I was out trying to shoot a doe and didn't even get one. And deer were moving the last 20 minutes and that was it because it was 30 degrees, you know? So, yeah, yeah that was my, yeah, that was one of my big problems this year was like I wanted to hunt. So the southern half of Wisconsin went till January 31st. Yep. And every day was 25 to 30 degrees, you know, maybe down to 20. There were very few days that were like, really cold and if they were really cold it was generally like overcast and high winds and just like nasty whereas i feel like in 
I mean, did you shoot him on like a clear day with like a 10 mile an hour wind or was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like yeah, perfect like conditions. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. So that's like the conditions that you're looking for. And, you know, of course, like for me, those days were days that I had to go pick up my son from babysitting or something, something like that. Right. right. I had to go get him. Yeah. And it's just like, I would go pick him up from daycare and I would, I have to pick him up at like four 30. I would go there and I'd see deer in the fields already, like on on private pieces. But I'd be like, God, they're up and out. They're up and moving. And I here I am, you know, driving in the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, no, yeah, that like the conditions were good. The The stand was set. So he was by himself, but there were already a ton of deer moving through. Do you think that uh, that bigger bucks or more mature bucks will use different trails than you know, like 20 does, like 20 does can pack down a trail really good. And then I, cause I always feel like you see these one-off trails, like it's just like yeah. one set of tracks. I always feel like that's a bigger deer. Generally, I would say yes and agree with you. But like I kind of said earlier where I'm this year, we had such brutal conditions early. Like these deer were on, you know, I call them, you know, interstates. I mean, they weren't getting off. Okay. Of them yeah. Because I've, they take one step off, they're up to their chest in snow, and they just did not want to deal with that. So he was on a trail that a lot of deer had already used. Um, sure. So, but in but I, in theory, like yes, I think there's you know all times of the year there, I think mature bucks are kind of taking these one-off trails, doing their own thing, not always going right where all the other deer are going for sure. Okay, because that's that's one theory that i've had for a long time i haven't been able to like prove it to myself or anything but you always see like these like i call them cow paths right they're just giant cow paths going through the woods and it's all deer tracks and then you'll see like this real small path that looks like it's only been used you know once every week or something like that and i'm like wow i really want to hunt the cow path but i bet you the bigger deer use this smaller trail yep and it always yeah always gets me because then i like i just try to figure out where they connect at some point they might connect and that's where i will try yeah. to hunt or where yeah. like one trail is at 20 yards and one trail is at you know like 35 or 40 or something like that right no that makes yeah. sense um all right well that's all i mean at least you you know back to getting them at least you got them and everything and it's a terrible shot that sucks but uh yeah but, I mean, I was... it is what it is and you got them yeah, I was very fortunate, and going in, I was so nervous, and we got in, and trying to be fairly quiet, and we got to the point of impact, and then I shot, you know, shot my flashlight up there, and a bunch of deer were taking off, and I was like, oh, God, please don't have him be one of them, and oh, no. we got we got up to the pine tree where I knew he had bedded down, and he was laying right there, so I was <laughs> very, very fortunate and very happy. Oh, shit, that's awesome. Uh how far like so what were you doing for like clothing like it, you know you said it was negative 20 like with the wind chills and stuff like how were you yeah. layering up um so i mean i i wear all sick uh, so it it makes okay. it pretty nice so i just throw on a couple layers and then do the fanatic set and uh it keeps me warm the biggest thing is your, your hands and your feet for me if you have clothes that can keep you legitimately warm you know it's your toes and your fingers i mean i've got the sick has got the they call them the other incinerator flip mitts i think they're these big bulky you know they got like the fingers but then the part that goes over to make it a mitt oh so yeah I, like flip mitten yeah 
Yeah. So I wear those for the walk in and out. And then I, you know, I'll stuff, you know, the nice thing with the sick, uh, um, fanatic jacket is it has like a hand muff. So if you don't have that, you know, you can just, you, can, you know, there's hand muffs you can just buy. I'll just fill it with hand warmers. Sure. I keep my hands in there with my thin bow hunting gloves on. That way when I take it out to make the shot, you know, they're there and hopefully I'll have to use it for very long. Yeah. That, right. Yeah. And yeah. Then after, after I shot him and I kept blasting, you know, by the end of the night, I couldn't feel my fingers. I mean, oh, I bet. It was, yeah, it was brutal. I but. bet. The other, the other thing that I feel like would be super nice is if, is if like, you know, most, most bow, bow manufacturers make like their riser is, you know, aluminum or carbon or whatever it is. Uh, and then when you grab that thing, like if you're out in those conditions and you grab that thing, like a deer's coming in and you're sitting there waiting, that hand just freezes up. Freezes. <laughs> like yeah. if they could, if you, I mean, I know you can get like the aftermarket stuff where you can get a, a, a rubber grip or whatever. You know, I've seen guys like right. electrical tape it just so that it's not so damn cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just deal with yeah, right? it. Can be. I can hear people saying right now, just deal with it, pussy. But <laughs> when it's when it's that when it's i mean when it's that cold though i mean it's that's pretty brutal i mean yeah oh yeah when it's in a neg when it, you're hitting negative 20 negative 30 i mean it's not a ton you can do to stay warm for a long long time right what do you do for your for your footwear like what kind of do you what what is your socks like and what do you what do you wear for boots yeah so i wear i'll wear like two layers of just you know, I try to have like smart wool and then, um, just, you know, like, or a Merino base, you know, I try to do two layers of socks. I try to keep down the sweating, try to sure. walk really slow. Um, I have these things, they're called yak tracks. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that. Okay. They're like a, like a, you put them on the bottom of your take like the insole out and put them down as like the insole. They help keep the sweating down. They're seven bucks or eight bucks. I got them at Cabela's, the Cabela's salesman this year sold me on them. <laughs> and uh, they they seem to help quite a bit. I actually really yeah. like them. And then I what? just wear the lacrosse. What's that? Oh, I say I wear the lacrosse Alpha Burleys. So I have like the eight hundred okay. ones for when it's colder. But um, I think it's all about you know you're just laying your socks, and as soon as your feet start sweating, you're screwed. So try to walk real slow to the stand. I try to take my time. So sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you shot that, when did you get in the stand? If you shot him at three 30, like did... two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you were planning to be out there for three and a half hours in that cold. Yeah. yeah and you probably started at one o'clock, got out there at one to get all your gear yeah. on and walk About out. How that, far yeah. of a walk were you at? Just a couple hundred yards. Oh, so. that's shit. Were you on public or private? Public. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, in, that's in, nice. In the city, so it's. Right. I was. He died fifty yards behind backyards, and that was one of my worries too, because he was headed that way. I didn't want him to oh, die in the lawn. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole. Hey, I'm a I'm a local deer hunter. <laughs> right, well, under your, actually, right under your swing set over there is yeah. uh, my deer. <laughs> well, when actually when we recovered him, we were real close to you know a couple of houses, and I I looked up and there's this guy just pacing back and forth in his backyard. And I, I just like, I yelled out there and go, Hey, like we're just recovering a deer. I shot this afternoon. And he, the guy yells back. All right. Sounds good. I was getting a little worried there for a bit. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it was like one in the, one in the morning. Oh my God. Just trying to figure out who the hell is back there. 
Yeah, which I I get. So interesting that he's up at the same time though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he probably saw what the light from his window or something, or oh you yeah, know, maybe, yeah, maybe he was getting up to go to the bathroom. Who knows? But All right, no, that was kind of funny. Um, yeah. all right, I know you got to go, but real quick, can we? Can you tell me about uh, your big one from 2018? Like that's a video, so anybody can go check that out on YouTube. I watched that; it's a it's a great video. It's pretty cool how it all plays out. But can you talk? Tell me about the setup on that and what that deer like. I mean, how many? I don't even know how many points it is. It's yeah. Um, and real quick to the nine pointer that we just talked about, the late season one. That's all on my YouTube channel as well. So is it okay? I haven't watched that yeah. one yet. Yeah. Um. Um. But the. The one the year before that was on a small, small piece of private I have. Um, it's eight acres, I think. And I was actually after a different buck that I was mainly targeting, which was that really old big one I talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, I was after him okay. the year before as well. So um, <laughs> it was this, but this buck that I killed was on the same property. Um, okay. So there was him. The one I killed, and then the one there was another one, just a little smaller than the one I killed. Um, so there's three bucks. Essentially, the way this little property laid out, it's eight acres. It's um, you know, there's it's on like this huge hill. It's huge, graduate gradual hill. The bottom there's uh, a lot of bedding and stuff, and at the top of the hill is where there's this road, and across the road there's a bunch of apple trees and. I think people feed the deer up there. So that's kind of where their food source is. And I'm okay. kind of right in the middle. And, uh, and there's one lone oak tree on the property that I can hunt that drops acorns like crazy every s- September. And so they kind of use that property as a little bit of a staging area sure. for, I think, cause they won't go up into the yards and cross the road till it's dark and stuff like that. And I've been getting pictures of all three of these bucks all summer and I knew they were in there pretty consistently. I don't, the big thing for me was I only checked this camera a couple times. I put up a camera in July. I think I checked it once in August and I checked it once in September maybe. And really just try to cut down on my, the amount of activity I was putting on in this little piece of property. Cause you know, it's only eight acres and they could easily right. go around it or go a different way to their food source or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of wanted to wait to the first cold front to hit it and hunt it right. And so I went in the first cold front of the year. Didn't happen until October 2nd. I went in, didn't see a single deer. And I was like, <laughs> all right, oh, plan is not working. That's his plan. Right. That night I checked the camera and all three bucks had gone, been through there in the last week or so. Um, nothing in daylight, kind of like all right on the cusp of daylight, you know, okay. 30 minutes after dark or something like that. And then I, the next cold front was, uh, yeah, October 11th. So nine days later and the day before we had crazy rainstorm, it was, you know, warm, it was like 60 degrees and raining. And then by the next day it was cold, calm and in the twenties and Ooh, dang. so it was yeah. the coldest day of the fall by far. Yeah. I knew I had to be in that stand, went in didn't see a deer until the last 15 minutes and it was ended up being the buck that I, that I got. And he came came in, you know, he, that was reading the script to a T. I mean, the way (laughs) I drew that up, 
Yeah. And came in on the trail, I figured, came up to this oak tree, turned broadside to feed, put his head down, and I shot him. And it was like, it was one of those hunts that you think are just, it's too good to be true. Like, it'll never happen yeah. that way, you know? Like, oh, yeah. and it just happened to happen exactly how I drew it up. And it was the second time I'd been in the stand that year. And he was the only deer I saw from the stand. And, uh, was able to send an arrow through him and he went 40 yards and piled up and it yeah. wasn't a gut shot no it was, it was <laughs> a shot i pulled a little forward but i it was a complete pass through right by the shoulder and yeah, yeah it was it was good so oh, it's, I got, it's always nice when a plan works out like that right yeah and, but, and that one the big thing was just a lack of pressure right like i knew the bucks were there and it's such a small yeah. piece of I checked the camera two times over the course of two and a half months, you know, so I was in there three times maybe till I killed them. Sure. And so how do yeah. you, so like, so I've been in those similar scenarios where you're like, okay, I know the deer are here. I know they're here. So I don't need to like be in here moving cameras around every few weeks and trying to figure out where they are. Yeah. How do you know where, like, where to set that camera and then also where to set your your stand i mean like have you hunted that property for a few years to be like okay if a deer are coming through here they're using like generally this trail and that's where i put my camera or how are you setting your camera yeah so that property is a unique one because i hunted that um i think 2013 through 2015 okay i uh, I lost permission and as I lost permission, I simultaneously had moved to North Dakota. So I didn't like actively try to regain permission. Okay. Um, and when I moved back to Minnesota from North Dakota, I went back there to try to get permission again. And the landowner then regave me permission. Um, and so That's I an had interesting scenario. <laughs> yeah. The landowner had actually passed away and his son took it over. Oh, okay. When his son took it over, I lost it. And then gotcha. four years later, his wife essentially felt good enough about letting me be on there and nice. I, got, I got it back. So, yeah. yeah and, okay. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. And, um, so I had kind of a general understanding of it and it's such a small property. A lot of, you know, the, there's one really main trail with the Oak tree. That Oak tree is huge because that property isn't very good kind of after the leaves fall. I mean, it's not much. So it's an early okay. season property. I knew that. And there's one spot, get the camera on the trail that leads into to those acorns, essentially. And there's not a ton of deer on the property, but there's always a lot of mature bucks in the area. So okay. it's just, uh, it's having that back understanding, you know, having that information from before. So yeah. Well, really yeah. it's, as I, as I talk to more and more people like this, it's like experience and, and knowing how a property works. It seems to be the biggest factor and just years and years of hunting it and failing and figuring it out and moving cameras and moving cameras and just really understanding because you like, I mean, just in the way you told the story, you knew the scenario you needed in order to get in there and kill that deer. Like it's probably a Northwest wind, probably like 10 to 15 miles an hour cold front. And you have your stand set up based for that wind and probably that that entry route as well. So you can be pretty much unseen, unheard, unsmelt the entire way in. And you can get set up real quiet, easily away from everything. And then they can just work their way in and away you go. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then 
the property is going to have maybe little small um, changes that you make to better yourself. Like this year, for example, on that same property, that old giant buck I talked about, you know, yeah. it was in October. I was the first time I'd ever seen him. He came in, he busted me. And I had it made me reevaluate the exact tree I was in. And as I kind of just looked at it, re looked at the, you know, my whole setup, I decided to take that stand down and move it like seven yards to a different tree where I could set up differently, have a little bit of a more shooting ability, still could shoot to where I, my main spot, but I could shoot to a couple other spots where he was at a little more cover. And, you know, now I like it way more where it's at, even though I moved it, you know, seven yards. No, I mean that the fine tuning, right? That's what, like, I, I feel like you can get, you can get to a certain like class of deer. You can get to generally killing a two and a half year old every year and every now and then a three and a half year old with a certain skill set, you know, that's 80% of the work. But in order to kill those four and a half, five and a half year old, six and a half year old giants, then you're starting to fine tune and that's that last 20%. And that's the hardest thing for people to learn because it's so unique. It's, it's not yeah. like hunting a two and a half or a three and a half year old deer. It's it's For a different, if sure. it's a different setup. And so, a, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna say, like you know, mature bucks like that, they're a, almost a completely different animal than you know any other deer. Really, yeah. is that did that big one come in solo too? Because that's another thing I hear a lot is these big deer coming alone. The one I killed. No, the one that busted you. Oh, this year? No, he actually was on a doe. Yeah, at the end of October. Oh, okay. Yeah, the doe came through perfectly, and then he he busted me. He was about he needed to take ten more steps. He'd have been dead. Oh man, she wasn't. Uh, she a, wasn't in estrus enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've had a picture of him or heard of him since, so I still have my fingers crossed he's alive. But oh man, he'd be he'll be ten and a half if he's alive. You know, this next year. So no way. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So, well, hopefully you get pictures of them. Yeah, I hope so. So. Um, all right. Well, hey, man, we're rolling up on an hour. I know you got to get going. I really appreciate you having or coming on and, and talking about these things. The strategies you had are pretty cool because one, you know, the second one was way like early season, trying to get in there yeah. on the cold front. The other one, clear blue skies, cold days, you know, in the late season and just finding those deer. And then also really appreciate the shed hunting tips. <clears throat> when I find a shed this year, based on uh, your information, I'll, I'll tag you in the post. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. See if you can get on a few. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. All right, so do uh, can you just tell me where people people can find you if they want to? Like, what are they looking on? Yeah, yeah, everything you could find at whitetaildna.com. I got links to everything there. Otherwise, if you go to YouTube and just type in whitetaildna or Instagram, you know, it's all the same. Um, you know, white, the websites were, you know, the videos are there too, but so are the blog posts, but YouTube channels, obviously we're going to find all the videos. So yeah. that's, uh, that'd be it. Okay, great. Yeah. And I, I really like the, uh, the Q and a you did with Brennan <clears throat> over at the yeah. breaking point. I like that yeah. format, how it laid out and everything. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, I enjoy yeah. that. So yeah, appreciate that. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in guys. And, uh, Next week we are having uh, Stephen Ranella on. He is he's one of my good friends. And no, I'm to I'm totally kidding. I have no connection to him whatsoever. <laughs> Alex's face was like, I was really? like, <laughs> I was like whoa.
Good for you, man. <laughs> no, crap. no, no. No, maybe if I had a million dollars. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in and catch you later.